I know it probably doesn't look like it, but I'm quite a deep thinker. I think because people think I'm Irish, I'm drinking Guinness and telling gags and all of that kind of stuff. But actually, I've always been the kind of person that spends quite a lot of time in my own head just thinking through some things. And I want to share, perhaps you could take this down a little bit, it's a bit loud. I want to share something with you this morning that I think is a little bit of a revelation to me. I hope it will be of some help to you. If you have a Bible with you, go to the book of Ecclesiastes for me, please. And we're going to read a verse from chapter 9. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes, for those who are interested, was written by what the Bible refers to as the wisest man who ever lived. So if the wisest man who ever lived has something to say to us, what do you think we need to do? Listen? Yes? Now, I do have to argue with this because the wisest man who ever lived had hundreds of wives. And to me, there's a little question now. We're gone to hardly on at all. The question as to what that wisdom looks like. But he is writing from a perspective in his old age considering all matters pertaining to the life that he's lived. And these words, I think, are quite profound for us. Verse 11 of Ecclesiastes chapter 9, he discovers something, and this is what he says. I have seen something else under the sun, and this is his revelation. The race is not to the swift, or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned. But time and chance happens to them all. And I don't know about you, but as I look at that scripture, I have so many questions because the world I live in looks very different to this reality. The world I live in is highly competitive. Amen? The race does seem to belong in the world I live in to the swift. The battle clearly gets won by those I perceive as being strong. So what is Solomon trying to communicate to us? Why would he offer us this piece of wisdom and information in our lives? Well, I want to suggest to you that really what we're all searching for and indeed hoping for in 2023 is not that we would pray more, not that we would um, read the Bible more. Really, if we're honest here today, what we all want in 2023 is the advantage. We want God to do something so incredible that we don't have to live our lives the way we have been living our lives, which is competing in just about every which way possible to get what we believe is either ours as a right or indeed as a result of our hard work. And yet the Bible teaches us something alternative is true. The race isn't won by those who are the fastest. Take a look around you. There are some lean, mean fighting machines amongst us today. And as hirsute and incredibly athletic as those people are, their human strength, their human capacity 
will not get them to the places and the spaces of their destiny. The race is not to the swift, and it certainly isn't to the strong. So how do we get where we need to get with God in 2023? Well, I think it would be good to spend a little time in his word this morning looking at some things that can help us as we step over the threshold into a new year. I learned a few years ago that this world I'm living in is highly competitive. Have you noticed that about it? In just about every facet of life, people are competing with one another to try and get where they need to get and to be what they need to be. Let me give you an example of that. Has anyone tried to buy a house recently? You know, there was a time, and I'm not as ancient as some of you in this room, but there was a time when if you went to view a house, you had some breathing space, you could go away, you could think about your finances, all of that kind of stuff. Now, because there are so many people after so few houses that are of a reasonable price, you could be one of 20 people viewing that house. And by the end of the day, they could have five or six offers on the table that are usually over the asking price. So here's what a estate agent does. It has this, they have these wonderful ways of describing things. I remember talking to somebody recently and they said they went to view, a young couple went to view this house and they say in the details it says it's very close to the motorway. In other words, it's easy access to the M5. What they meant by that is that you could reach out of the top window in the house <laughs> and touch the barrier that went along the side of the motorway. I mean, easy transport access is not really what you're looking for whenever you can actually touch the actual motorway. Another one they said they went to view said it needs slight improvement. And um, when they went to view it, there was no back door. There was hardly a front door. The kitchen had been taken out. And of course, obviously, you would imagine that they were surprised at the devastation that existed inside the house that needed slight improvement. And in spite of all of that, in spite of all of the things that happened with that, when it comes to purchasing a house in this generation, in this hour, there are five, maybe 10, maybe 20 people putting offers in. Why? Because people believe that the race is to the swift and to the strong. Now what happens when you have that mindset is you live highly competitively. And the trouble with living highly competitively is everybody else wants what you want, so you have to get there first. You have to be stronger, you have to be quicker, you have to be brighter. Now try living in harmony with that kind of competitive orientation. It's very difficult not to see people other than your enemies or the obstacles that sometimes they appear to the destiny that God has for you. But the Bible teaches us that in spite of that which we see in our world and experience, the race is not to the swift and it's not to the strong. And we'll come to some of those things in a few moments. A few years ago, we moved to London. I have never seen so many people in my life. I remember the first few weeks coming out of the church around 10.30 on a Sunday night after about six or seven meetings, getting into my car, and the roads were gridlocked around Notting Hill Gate and that area. The roads were gridlocked. And after about two or three weeks of this, I happened to say to one of the stewards on the door, 
What's happening? You know, I imagine there's some kind of concert on somewhere. Well, where is everybody going at 10.30 at night? And it was everybody. What should have taken half an hour took an hour and a half to get home. And it was literally only about eight miles because the, the roads were at a standstill. London is the biggest car park on the planet. The biggest car park on the planet. And after chatting with this guy, uh, he said, you know, well, what, what, do you, what do you think will be the best time for you to travel? And I said, I don't know, baby, you can recommend. He said, well, I think, and he paused for a moment, he said, I think if you left around two in the morning, you should be able to get home in half an hour. Two in the morning, everybody was going somewhere. Everybody feeling that they would miss out if they weren't going somewhere. Everybody competing on the roads to get where they needed to get. I mean, London was so crazy. On the M40 coming in, people would drive. You know when you in a traffic jam, there's that little space where the white line is? There's no space in London. People were driving up the middle of, of the white line. This guy in his wonderfully expensive car. You know, I don't have many bad moments when I want to do a bad thing. But I thought, wouldn't it be nice just to tip the tail of it as it went past? <laughs> Having sat for 40 minutes in traffic and not been able to move, and he's, everyone's moving aside to let this man come through. Come on. What is that? I thought, maybe just a, a slight distraction. <laughs> and it could cost him thousands of pounds, and I would go home and be beaten to a pulp by my wife. But we're all fighting, all striving all competing with one another in the world in which we live. And yet Solomon says, the wisest man that ever lived, the race is not to the swift and it's not to the strong. Nor does food come to the wise. You can be as wise as you like and still go hungry. Isn't that the truth? Oh, wealth to the brilliant. I've known some brilliant people, but they cannot look after their finances. Or favor to the learned, just because you've got a great education doesn't guarantee you the best quality of life. But time and chance happen to them all. Solomon's not talking about luck. He's not talking about good luck. A few years ago when I was here as the assistant pastor to Stuart Blount, I was approached by our regional leader to see if I would be interested in becoming the senior pastor of another church in the city. And Jane and I, we went over to meet the people, and they were lovely people, very nice people. And uh, we had no plan of leaving here, no thought of becoming a senior pastor, any of those things. But we went out of obedience to our regional leader, and the church was King Standing Elim, which is just the opposite side of the city to us. And they were so lovely. Those people were so lovely. And we kind of knew fairly quickly that they might invite us. But as we were traveling back home in the car, it was in the days when mobile phones were the size of... As we were traveling back in the car, I get this phone call from Gordon Neal, and he said, Simon, I'm delighted to tell you that they want to offer you the position as the senior pastor of King Standing Elim. And I said, Gordon, that is so kind, that's so good. Thank them very much for us, but we will be declining their offer. And it went silent, just like it did just there. went silent. And he said to me on the phone, this is what he said, he said, but it's a great opportunity. And I said, trying to be smart, because I have a problem with that sometimes, I said, but my God doesn't want me to be an opportunist. You see, the Bible teaches us that the steps of the righteous are ordained of the Lord. The Bible teaches us that all of our days 
have been written in his book. I don't have to chase, run after, and indeed sometimes sadly even manipulate something to get what I think my destiny is attached to. God has a plan to prosper and to bless me. Now, if we had gone to King Standing, okay, which would have felt like a good move as far as the next season of our life would be concerned, we would have been able to stay in the city where our family was. That would have been an easier choice. We would never have heard the call of God on our lives to go to Glasgow. We would never have been open to that opportunity. And yet in Glasgow, I saw the power of God and the amazing ability of God to heal bodies and even, you know, create life where there was no life. Thank God I wasn't an opportunist. Amen? Thank God you don't have to be an opportunist because he has plans to prosper and to bless you. And isn't it true to say that all of this competitiveness that we're all living with day after day after day, you know what it's like when you go to Marks and Spencer's in Longbridge and you're fighting with the little old lady for the car parking space. You know how much damage that does to your soul, don't you? You know that Satan is not far from those moments, don't you? You know, he's quite close, crouching on the door of your heart. And sometimes, you know, isn't it terrible whenever you're about to turn into a space and somebody just comes from the opposite direction and goes into it? Don't you feel your salvation is being tested? Don't you think that your prayer life is increasing? Come on. You do, don't you? Because our world is crazy with people trying to get what they think they need to get to have the life that they hope they can have. But we as believers, we don't have to live like that. And that's not inviting you to a posture of, of passivity. That's inviting you to a pathway of sensitivity where the Spirit of God will always lead those who desire to do the will of God into the plan of God. Can somebody say amen of that? As you step into 2023, you don't have to run after every rainbow. Trust me, at the end of them, there's not always anything there. What you need to do is wait on the Lord. Not be hurried along by the competitive way in which the world exists. You need to wait on the Lord for His direction and for His guidance. For the steps of the righteous are ordained of the Lord. And all of our days are written in His book. There's one story in the Bible that I think shows us the reality of living in that kind of way. And it takes place in ancient Palestine. Now in the backdrop to this story... There are two armies fighting for position and power. One is the Philistines and the other is the armies of Israel. And one is camped on one high ridge of hills and the other is camped on the other side. And down between these two mountain ranges is this wonderful valley. And in this valley, um, that's where uh, many things have happened in the scriptures. But the problem with this battle is that both parties are waiting for the advantage. One party is waiting to see what the other party does. And day after day after day, we find ourselves in this narrative where the battle will not commence because the other is seeking the advantage over the other. There was gridlock. And eventually, one group, one army decides to take action. They'd had enough. They've waited too long. And they were called the Philistines. And so they provoked a reaction from the Israel army. And they sent out their best warrior, a man of great stature and strength, a profound 
um, warrior in many, many ways and has accomplished great things in the past. And his name was Goliath. And Goliath comes right down into the valley, aided by his assistant, and the dialogue begins. If you have your Bible with you, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17 for me, please. That's 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sokar in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damamim between Sokar and Azekiah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elia and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another, with a valley between both of them. A champion called Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. And actually, put into more local terms for us, he was six foot nine. This boy is a big help to his mom. Six foot nine. Got something on the top shelf? It's the one you go to. A champion named Goliath who was from Gath came out from the Philistine kites, height was six cubits in span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. Not only was this man tall, he had the capacity to carry huge amounts of weight. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung at his back. His spear shaft was like that of a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood, verse 8, and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out of line up for the battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, he will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become the subjects of our army and serve us. Verse 10, then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing this Philistine word, Saul, who's the head of the Israel army, the king, says he was dismayed and terrified. Have you ever been in a moment where the giant in your life just seems paralyzing? Ever in a moment where it seems like an impossibility for God to do what God has promised you to do. Have you ever been in a circumstance, and it could be a sickness, it could be a disability, it could be a marriage that's breaking down, when you have really no way of understanding how you are going to deal with the huge problem that you're about to deal with. Well, if you've had those moments, welcome to the real world, because that's what life is like. And if you haven't had them, I guarantee you in 2023, one or two may come along because the nature of the life that we're living here is that it is not without adversity. In fact, Jesus said, take heart, I have overcome this world. So what will the solution be? How will they avoid this situation or indeed win the outcome of this, which is to have complete ownership of this geographical region. Verse 12 tells us that there was some answer to their questions. Now, David was the son of Ephraite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the wall. The firstborn was Eliab, the second was Abindadab, and the third, Shemaiah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep 
at Bethlehem. Now this thing went on for 40 days and for 40 nights. Now, verse 17. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brother and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commanders of the unit and see how your brothers are doing and bring back some assurance for me from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Eliah fighting against the Philistines. Verse 20, early in the morning, David left the flocks in his care of his shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp of the army and was going out into its battle position shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other and David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they are. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. But David heard it. Whatever the Israelites saw this man, this is how they responded. They, were all, they all fled for him, him in great fear. So as you can imagine... This young man, David, turns up. I mean, I have preached a sermon on this many years ago called Stinky Cheese Ministries. Okay? Because David was bringing cheese sandwiches to his brother. He wasn't meant to be there. He didn't really have any right to be there. He wasn't qualified to be there. But his father asked him to go out and just see how his brother was doing. So, how many of you in this room are familiar with the story of David and Goliath? Give me a wave if you've heard that story before. Yeah, just about everybody in the room, but there's some things I want to highlight to you, and I don't want to take too much of your time, but I'm going to do this today. The first thing I want to highlight to you is this, that from everybody's perspective, other than God's and David's, it looked like David was at the disadvantage. And I want to say this to you, that sometimes your disadvantage is to your advantage. Sometimes in life, You think you have to have or indeed accomplish something in your, in your, in your day-to-day living. But actually, your disadvantage can be the very advantage that God gives you over a situation that looks impossible. David clearly had the disadvantage. What were those disadvantages? Well, he certainly wasn't a warrior, was he? What was David? A shepherd boy. A shepherd boy. He certainly didn't have the capacity to fight the way Goliath could fight. And by all people's perspectives, that was a huge disadvantage. Amen? He was just an ordinary guy looking after sheep in a field. And he walked with God very humbly. He should not have been there. He he was disadvantaged because he should not have been on the battle lines. It was not his place to be there amongst the battle for all the reasons I've identified and many more. But here's something about David. David did not see his disadvantage the way other people saw it. David saw his disadvantage as his advantage. And it's interesting to me that when we look at problems, so often we think, well, if I had this or I'd got that or I knew this or I'd experienced that, I would have the advantage. I want to suggest to you that in many ways, your disadvantage is going to be to your advantage in 2023. Don't hide from your disadvantage. Don't ignore your disadvantage. It will create for you a perspective and an energy that you couldn't have if you had the advantage. The second thing I want to highlight to you is this. 
giants aren't always what we think they are. Now, there's a couple of things about this story that you need to pay attention to. And I'm going to ask you to read it for yourself for the sake of time. But you'll notice that although Goliath was huge and very accomplished, he needed somebody's help to take him down into the valley. He needed an assistant. You'll also notice that when Goliath is taunting the Israelites, and particularly David, as David begins to emerge, he says, come to me. And you will also notice that when Goliath sees David from afar, he says, what am I? Am I a dog that you would come with sticks? Now, let me highlight a couple of things for you. The first thing is this. Researchers told me that Goliath had a condition, and that condition caused a benign tumor to grow on his pituitary gland. And the result of that benign tumor is that the growth hormone in the body overproduces to an extent where people have exceptional height. So what you look at Goliath and think is an advantage actually is a disadvantage. Goliath was not well. How do I know he's not well? Because this particular tumor on the pituitary gland causes the sight of a person to diminish quite rapidly. And so that makes sense why he needed an assistant to take him down the side of the mountain. This huge man to take him down the side of the mountain. Why? Because he could not have got there without the aid of someone else because he was not what he appeared to be. What everybody saw was this huge, strong man. But actually, in fact, this man struggled with a condition that caused him to have limited sight and limited capacity. Why did Goliath say to David, come to me? You've guessed it, because he couldn't get to him. So he's demanding of David that David come and fight with him in the same manner as he would fight. We'll come to that in a minute in the space where he felt that he had some capacity to understand. And finally, why would he say, why would you come to me with sticks? David had one stick. So we can see pretty clearly that giants aren't always what they appear to be. Some of these things are remarkable for me. I've never heard them before, but in my research and reading around this, I realized that this is clearly what the issue is. Third thing. Being an underdog actually provides for you a great opportunity to change. When you're an underdog and you break through into something, your life opens up in all kinds of ways. Doors open, they create opportunities for you. You're educated by the process of coming through into something, you're enlightened, and you make possible in the eyes of people what so many people thought was unthinkable. So what we're looking at here is a story that in many ways we're over-familiar with. A story we haven't really spent too much time considering. A story that I think we already believe what the truths are and indeed have become so accustomed to them, we don't question the narrative anymore. But actually, what we're seeing here is not an imbalance of power. What we're seeing here is two different types of power. So let me explain that to you. Well, it's clear to me from this narrative and others that are written around this subject that Goliath was a very accomplished warrior. But can I just suggest to you, so was David. 
It appears to me because Saul wanted David to put on Saul's armor that everybody presumed about Goliath, the only possible way to win this battle is like for like. Can I just tell you in the year that lies ahead of you, the devil will want to get you on his territory, on his terms, where he is at his strongest. But I'm telling you, David rewrites that narrative and says, I'm not putting on this armor. This isn't who I am. This isn't who I'm supposed to be. In fact, he took it off. Why? Because he was a warrior of a greater caliber, not because he had all of the trappings of, of war on his body, but because he had killed the lion and the bear in the desert. And how did he kill the lion and the bear? With stones. With stones and his bare hands. So this is not as unequal as it looks. Goliath doesn't have the greatest advantage. In fact, David does. So David without the armor, runs down the valley and taunts Goliath. And he says to Goliath, before this day is out, before this day is out, I will have your head and all of the Philistines will bow to Yahweh. The giants you face this year, they want you to be intimidated by them. They want you to stand in their territory and they want you to do battle with them on their terms. Can I make a better suggestion for you? Do not fall into the trap of allowing the publicity around a situation to be the final outcome of that situation. You know, I was chatting with a lady yesterday. She's a, a friend of ours from years ago, and she's been diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. And this sounds terrible. I hope she's listening. I believe what I did was right, but... I've been trying to text her a little bit to see how she's doing. And she's a nurse, and so she's seen all of this kind of stuff. And that's a problem. You know, it's one thing treating other people with these, these problems. It's another thing having it yourself. You've seen just about every facet of, of, of the demise of a human being, the pain, the discomfort, the, 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 the excruciating agony that comes at the end. And, of course, you can imagine what happens. Instead of trying to kind of separate herself from her experience, what she's done is allowed her experience to dictate her life. And so not only does she have stage 4 cancer, which by the way, she's having treatment for, and hopefully we'll have good news about that in the next few days, but the fear of what could be has paralyzed her. So the last few, if it is indeed the last few months of her life, she's spending most of it in bed. Why? Because she's believed the publicity around cancer. She's seen enough evidence to say that cancer can do what it can do. But whose report do you choose to believe? We've got to make up our minds who's telling us the truth. Now, does she have cancer? Absolutely. Is it stage four? Absolutely. Should she have concern? Absolutely. But when fear stops her from getting out of the bed in the morning, stops her from communicating with people, stops her from doing the things that she would not. I just said to her on the phone yesterday, I'm not good at this, but I'm just going to tell you what I would do. Get out of bed. Because when you're lying in bed, what are you thinking about? And here's what I've noticed about these things. It starts with a thought and it ends in a catastrophe. Okay, the Bible says take every thought captive, every vain imagination that sets itself up against the purposes of God. Does she have cancer? Yes. Absolutely she has cancer. Nobody's denying that. And that is terrible and I would never want to be in that situation. But she may as well be dead if she doesn't get out of bed. 
I said, when you have breath in your lungs, get up. I said, she's not a believer to my knowledge, but, you know, I said to her, do you like to dance? She said, yes. Yeah. I said, get out of bed and dance. Do you like music? Yes. Put on some music. Now you're all looking at me like I'm a terrible person. <laughs> Will sympathy change her situation? What does true compassion look like? It's not sympathy. It's saying, look, I have learned this. That if you let your emotions tell you how you will live, you will live far restricted than God intended you to, to, to do. Get out of your bed. Put on the telly. Watch something. Sing a song. Dance. She loved to dance when she was younger. Just put on your dancing shoes and bob around the front room. Now you're all telling me, gosh, I can tell by your faces. Gosh, what a terrible man. What a terrible, terrible man. This woman has got cancer. I'm telling you what I've learned from life. Giants love to intimidate. And it's not over until it's over. And I don't need to allow it to be over today. Whenever the diagnosis three weeks away, this is the day the Lord has made. And my choice in it is to rejoice and be glad. The problem with all of these giants is they've got publicity. And we may have had some interaction with people who've had to go through them. And so just like David, we can choose to believe the publicity and be paralyzed by what we see. Or we can take our disadvantage and say, I'm no warrior like that. But I have known God in my own way. And I'm going to strip this back until I see what God wants me to do. Here's what David saw. He didn't see the big Goliath guy. He saw a half-blind man who needed to be brought down to the battlefield. He didn't see the armor and the accolades and the credits that were acclaimed at this man. He saw someone who needed someone to come to him because he couldn't get to them. And when he says, am I a dog that you should come at me with sticks? I think David, because he had the disadvantage of not being a warrior, heard that and understood it to be different. And he came to the valley, knowing he was about to destroy his enemy. This year is going to be an interesting year because you're going to have massive things to contend with, and so am I. But your disadvantage or your seemingly disadvantaged state, as far as the world is concerned, is to your advantage. I'm puzzled sometimes by the scriptures, but I want to just draw your thought to this as we come to some kind of landing. I'll pick this subject up next week, the advantage of disadvantage. In the early church, they didn't have overhead projectors with lights and didn't have posh seats like you're sitting on. You know, those seats cost nearly 70 quid each. Some of us don't have sofas that cost that much, do we? Okay, they didn't have heating. Is there anybody else warm? I tell you what, I've got rivers of living water in places I didn't know I had places. That's all I'm saying to you. They didn't just have things that they lacked. They had an enemy who was trying to attack them. The Roman Empire wanted to destroy the church of Jesus Christ and did everything in their power to do that. But guess what? What looked like a disadvantage became an advantage because they met together in each other's homes. They decided to circumvent the problem and find the solution. I think sometimes 
as we step more and more into this season, which I think in worldly terms will be one where the economy will go through all kinds of things, we have to make up our minds about some things. And I think it's important to say this out loud. Am I going to allow the giant of this economy to dictate my reality? Or am I going to allow heaven's reality to dictate the economy? Whose report will I believe? Will I believe what the world tells me? And trust me, everyone's got an opinion in our world, haven't they? Or will I believe what the word of God says? His report says I am free. His report says I am healed. His report says he's got plans to prosper and to bless me. Do you know, if the early church allowed their disadvantage to become an advantage to the Roman Empire, you would not be here today. Without hardly any resources, the church, the New Testament church, grew exponentially to the point where they could not add up the numbers. Why? Because what looked like a disadvantage actually became an advantage in the kingdom of God. Amen? Jesus, speaking in the Sermon of the Mount, highlights this. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Do you know how much effort and time you put into not being poor in spirit? All day, every day. Your intentionality is not to be poor in spirit. Listen to what he says to those who look like they have a disadvantage. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You see, what the world thinks is a disadvantage in the economy of heaven is an advantage. It's always an advantage. And so, why would I be chasing rainbows? Why would I be striving to compete with people around me? Why would I fall into the trap of being seduced by the culture of our world where I'm being driven to try and attain something that actually I already have? I already have life and life in all its fullness. The only possible reason is that I haven't twigged, I haven't fully understood that my disadvantage compared to other people, I have some disadvantages, that actually has become my advantage. Let me give you an example of that, and we'll close with this. I remember standing on the platform in Glasgow, and um, I, had a, I have a history, you know. Does anybody have a history? The road into ministry has not been an easy one for me. I never wanted to be a minister. I still haven't made my mind up about the whole thing, to be fair. Um, but God called me out of show business, and he called me into the ministry, and... Uh, the pastor here at the time, David Woodfield was his name, he said, Simon, why don't you come and speak at our Thursday night Bible study? Well, do you know the amount of hours and time and everything I put into this, this Bible study? I can't even remember what it was about, but it had, I think, probably five or six points to it. I thought you needed five or six to look intelligent. I realize now everybody has three and they begin with P, don't they? But at the time... I just oh, five or six, and in each of my points, there were like 10 sub-points. So I get to point number two. Now, we've been going for 40 minutes. And I say, and now, moving on from point number seven under point number two to point number eight, and somebody said from the back, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And you know what? I felt it. They felt it. He tells it. What was worse is he was my best friend. The person that said it was my best friend. And it was a gasp. Oh, my God. I think I may have mentioned I had some other points. And he went, oh, my God. I couldn't imagine. Do you know we'd still be there? 
would probably still be that. Do you know, I was trying to be what God had never asked me to be. I had put on some armor thinking I needed to be some preacher boy that came up with all of these points. Let me tell you, you, you'll twig it now when I say, I only ever have one point. But I tell you what, I make it available to anybody and everybody in the room, okay? And I'm not any more uncomfortable with that because I don't have to try and do this on anybody else's terms. God has trained me privately for the things that he has for me to do. I don't have to be like Stuart Blount, as great as he is, I can admire that. Or Andy, who was here before me, a great Bible teacher, I can admire that. I have only to be who I am to the glory of God. I don't have to fight that battle on anybody's terms. I don't have to wear anybody else's armor. I have to take what I've been given and trust that God will use it to do what God wants to do. I can tell you how liberating that is. That's really liberating. One night we were standing in Bristol and um, we're praying for the sick. And I just thought, gosh, you know, I'm so insecure. Is anybody else insecure? Come on, stop lying. You're in church. Insecure. We're all insecure in some way, shape, or form. And um, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, you know, there's somebody here and they have a, a, a tumor in their lung. Now, if you're insecure, okay, that's a big deal. Because why would you say it out loud? I could have just circumvented that and said, you know, is there anybody who needs prayer? you're sick in your body, why don't you come forward and pray? But over and over again, I felt God say, just say it out loud. Just say it out loud. And I kept thinking, what if I've got it wrong? Do you ever do that with God? You know, and, and here's the worst thing. I always find with these prophetic words, when I say a word of knowledge, I think it's called in the scriptures, is there anyone here and you have been told this week that you have a tumor? The church are just lousy at responding. Even if there's 20 tumors in the room, They make it as hard as possible. And you're standing there saying, the Lord is speaking, there's someone here with a tumor, nothing. And you know, that moment, which is only a few moments, feels like a week. It's like a week and you're standing there thinking, I told you I got it wrong, God, I told you. And this person put their hand up and they said, I've just been diagnosed today. I've been told I have a tumor in my left lung. And I said, I knew it was the left lung. Well, it's easy to be brave after someone's disclosed it, isn't it? Because it was a bit a place too far to say exactly which lung it was. And I said, well, come forward. We're going to pray for you. And, and as we went to pray for him, I hear this voice in my head saying, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? And you know, that's a trick question, isn't it? Because <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the answer. So I just tried to dismiss it, and I moved towards this, this lady. She was in her 40s or thereabouts, and um, I placed my hand on her shoulder and get another lady to come and put her hand um, on her back, and we're praying. And um, I, said, I said to the Lord, I feel so embarrassed about this. What if nothing happens? And here's what God said to me. What if something happens? And I said, God, what am I supposed to pray? How do you pray for something like that? And he said, it's not about the words. The Bible doesn't say, you know, say fancy words over people. It says, lay hands on the sick. 
and they shall be healed. And so it was like a moment and suddenly I realized the lesson. The lesson is this. Yeah, I might be insecure. That's true. I think we all are. But I can trade my insecurity for something that God has used many, many times. And here's what it is. I can trade my insecurity for God dependency. I can take what is a weakness in me, step out in faith and say, God, use me according to your will. My disadvantage becomes my advantage. And when it comes to hosting the presence of God, my disadvantage is to my advantage. When it comes to being led of the Spirit, my disadvantage is to my advantage. You see, in the kingdom of God, the economy is upside down and inside out. The race is not to the swift. It's not to the strong. Your disadvantage in 2023 is going to come to the fore as your advantage. Listen to this scripture. It says, Paul, boasting in his weakness, says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Wow. That's moving from insecurity to God dependency. So there'll be giants this year. Don't fall into the trap of fighting them on their terms. Don't stand on the ground that they demand you come to. Don't put on the armor that simulates and reflects the way they do war with you. Stay true to who you are. And remember that your disadvantage will cause you to see things from a very different perspective. And you will be able to identify the weaknesses in that particular adverse situation. And with the tiny little things that God has shown you. And that's all they are. Little revelations. You can take down the largest of giants. This is going to be a year of breakthrough and favor for the church. Stand with me please. We spend all our lives, Jesus, wanting the edge. Believing that if we have the advantage over situations, we'll get that house, we'll marry that person, we'll find that job, we'll be seen for who we truly are. And yet, Lord God, your word clearly identifies to us over and over and over again that the only advantage we have is our disadvantage. And without wishing to labor this, God, today, I wish with all my heart that I understood far sooner in my life that my weaknesses become the places of opportunity for your greatness to become apparent. I wish, God, I hadn't spent so much time trying to be something you never called me to be. I wish, God, I didn't fight the enemy on his terms or on his ground or indeed try to put on things to make me look better than I really am. I wish, God, that I had trusted you the way you called me, the way you named me, the way you live in relationship with me. In fact, God, I want to say thank you for every disadvantage in my life. For from that perspective of disadvantage, I've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. But Lord, from my disadvantage, I'm not caught up in the hype around something. I'm not impressed by the PR around a situation, whatever label is on the giant, giants fall in the name of Jesus Christ. And I thank you, God, that what you're teaching me in the practical is also very spiritual. 
Father, as I step towards 2023, I know there are giants to slay, but I pray, God, that I would see clearly what you want me to see. And I would not hurry to the battle thinking I have to win it and the terms that are set for me. But Lord, the race that is not set for the strong or to the swift, may I be a person, Lord, that is moved by your spirit and can see what your spirit wants me to see so that I can advance in your purposes this year. Lord, teach us how to slay giants. Teach us how to do it well. But teach us, Lord, how to stay authentic to ourselves. For you, God, called us to be us, not to be anyone else. And we don't have to fake it till we make it. Do you know why I know that? Because we've already made it in your sight, Lord God. You are with us and you are for us. No weapon fashioned against us can prosper. So, Lord, bless your church as we step towards this week. I pray they cut off the head of everything that seeks to cut their head off, Lord. And I pray, God, that they would do it because they have won this beautiful perspective that the disadvantage they have is to their advantage. Lord, we ask this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Have a great week, church.